Hello there, and welcome to the Weekly Monitor, or TWM for brevity, the weekly roundup programme of the Scottish Football Monitor, asking the questions the mainstream media will not ask, right here at sfm.scot. I'm John Cole, and this week we'll be talking to David Lowe about the recently published accounts of Rangers International Football Club PLC to see if we can scratch the surface of the account headlines as portrayed by the mainstream media and to see if if there is a viable business model lurking in there somewhere. We'll also be talking to legendary commentator and pundit Jim Spence about the trials and tribulations of his beloved Dundee United in the Championship. All that after a look at the results over the weekend. On Friday evening, Aberdeen returned to winning ways with a 2-1 win over Partick Thistle at Fair Hill. Saturday saw Celtic in cruise control with a 3-0 victory over Inverness at Celtic Park. Dundee continued their mini-revival with a 2-0 win at Dens against Motherwell. Harrison St Johnson shared four goals at Tiny, whilst Kelly and Hamilton fought out a goalless draw at Rugby Park. On Sunday, Ross County and Rangers shared two goals for a point apiece. A total of just under 90,000 fans watched the matches in the top league, over half of those at Celtic Park. The upshot is a competition that's tight and competitive everywhere but at the very top. Aberdeen regained second place with 21 points, 10 behind Celtic, with a f- Rangers a further point back in third, followed by Hearts and St Johnson on 19 points apiece, and Inverness in sixth on 14. In the bottom half of the table, there are only three points between Killy in seventh and Ross County in 12th place. So very tight there. In the Championship, both Dundee United and Hibs had away wins, 3-0 against Air United and 4-1 against Queen of the South respectively, which means that the Hibbies maintain a three-point lead at the very top from Dundee United. And speaking of Dundee United, how are things progressing at Tannadice? Jim Spence is a journalist, broadcaster, pundit, prominent Twitter anti, and now consultant to his favourite team in Tangerine. I asked him how things are shaping up in the Championship for the Arabs. Hello Jim and welcome to the Weekly Monitor. There have been some big shocks in Scottish football over the past few, few years obviously. Rangers meltdown, Hearts relegation, Hibs relegation. I think the D United going down last year was just as big a jolt. So how are the club and the fans acclimatising their life in the Championship? Well, uh, thanks for inviting me on, firstly. Um, I, I think uh, looking at the league table after 12 played and sitting just the three points behind Hibs in second place, things are looking a whole lot better um, than they did you know, at the tail end of the season when the, the club were relegated. And, and I suppose, I mean, I'm kind of speaking in two, well, two or three capacities, I suppose. I'm, I'm speaking as a fan. I'm speaking as someone who's still kind of operating in journalism. I, I suppose I'm also speaking as someone who uh, the chairman, Stephen Thompson, brought in to do some uh, club consultancy work with, with yeah. him. You know, so I've kind of got three hats on here. But I think there's, um, the, you know, the first thing that strikes me is that the fans have rallied around tremendously. Um, the season book sales are around about 4,800 which is not that far short of the club's uh, best ever. Um, the walk-up attendances are, are, are terrific. Uh, you know, I mean, last week, I think there were just over 7,000 at the game, which was fantastic. And, um, you know, so, so yeah, there's a real kind of sense of camaraderie about the club. There's a, there's a great kind of spirit about the club, both on the, playings, uh, on the playing side and, and, and behind the scenes as well. I think there's a feeling that things are really coming in, uh, together uh, under Raymond, uh, the manager, you know, and... Uh, Generally, it's a whole lot brighter uh, than it was when you know when the neighbours um, relegated uh, us. You know, <laughs> and, uh, 
last season. There's expectations all over the place in football. Fans are very fickle and they they have they often have high expectations. I'm just wondering, what are the fans' expectations for this year? Are they expected to come up as champions? Uh, are they looking a wee bit hungrily at the bottom half of the Premiership ahead of a possible playoff? No, I mean, I, I think that um, I, I think the Bulky United fans, certainly Bobby United fans, are my acquaintance, and, and one of the things I do kind of in the club consultant roles, going around about and meeting various uh, fans groups, or we meet the guys in, 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 in what's called the Heggy Lounge, at Paul Heggy Lounge at Tannadies on a Saturday, and you're out and about in the, the George Fox meeting people. I think there's just um, there's a, there's a kind of sense that the club needed to come together to, uh, again. There's a hope, there's an, an absolute desire uh, to get back up. Um, I think there's a sense of realism among some, uh, you know, some of the support probably the bulk of the support that to come up as, as automatic champions it will be a very difficult thing indeed I mean Hibs will have um, a, a much more substantial budget than, than Ray McKinnon has to, to spend um, they have much bigger crowds when we had 17,000 uh, sorry when we had 7,000 last week they had I think 14,500 so yeah. that gives an indication of the, the kind of gulf in terms of support and finances and all the rest and that's just a simple fact of life that said we, you know, we probably do the same when you look below us to the Wraith Rovers and the Mortons and the Falkers our budget will be will be bigger so you know that, that's the nature of football um, but I would imagine that the bulky supporters certainly think that we'll be right in, right in there in the mix um, in, in the playoffs I mean the hope would be you know that if you didn't come up um, as automatic champions that you would come up probably in second place for the players because it gives you a couple of less games to play and I mean I think that there's a genuine feeling that, that Raymond has assembled a really good squad a really strong squad um, I know there's a feeling that we could kind of do a striker that might be something that you look at in, in, in January I'm sure it will be but for the moment you know he's assembled a really good squad playing some good football and he's, he's assembled a squad I think that I've learned how to and I'll be careful how I phrase this because I hate that kind of phrase about you know fighting and scrapping and all the rest of it because it's actually a really good league there's a lot of really good sides there yeah. who play some really good stuff so you know it, it's, it's not um, it's not by any manner of means a rough tough kind of place but you do have to kind of be, need a bit of experience about you I think to get out of it and I think he's married you know the talents and the individual skills of, uh, you know some of the players um, with, with the ability to scrap out when, when they need to you know so I think uh, things are pretty happening um, at the moment um, uh, the fact that you know we're the highest scorers in the in the championship for one thing, you know one goal better off than than Habs, albeit we've conceded um, uh, a few more. Um, I think you know there, there is a kind of sense of brightness and a real sense of optimism. And you know when you're out in the pub and, and you're meeting guys in the street and girls in the street to support the club, there's a real kind of sense of um, pulling together. I think about the place, which is terrific because I mean the sense the sense of depression uh, when we were relegated was just beyond belief. It was just it was horrendous. I mean look, this is football and nobody died. We know that, but you know, the, uh, I mean, like a lump of United are a club that have got a very, very proud history, mm-hmm. and um, you know, the, I mean, m- most people of a certain vintage will, will know that. And it comes as a blow when when you're relegated from a place where you think that you know not that you've got an automatic right to be, but you're very used to being, and that's the Premiership. I think the expectation of the fans who who are not fans of Dundee United or fans of Hibs is that it really is the Hibs and Dundee United showing the Championship, though. You know, I mean, as you probably know that the, there was a lot of media interest in the Championship up until this year. Last year, for instance, I could comfortably engage you in conversation about Queen of the South and Falkirk and Allah. You know, not so much this year. So, who or what outside of that that Hibs and Dundee United bubble is is catching the eye in the Championship? Well, Wraith Rovers are only sitting three points behind United on the same games played, same games played 
the Sam's, you know, I mean, everybody's played the 12 games at this stage. So Wraith Rovers are only three points behind us and only two points behind them are Morton. And then you've got Falkirk and Queen of the South only a point behind them. So, you know, if you take it from Queen of the South in six right up to United in second, there's only six points separating those sides. Um, and Hibs then are only three points ahead. Now, I mean, Queen of the South, uh, until a number of weeks ago, were looking terrific. At one stage, yeah. they were leading the table. Um, you know, now they've won five, they've drawn three, they've lost four. I suspect if you'd say to most Queen of the South fans, that'll be your start of the season, they'd have thought that'll be not bad. But at one stage, they, they were looking terrific. Um, and then they, subsequently, they, they, they've fallen away. And, 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 you know, United beat them uh, 4-1 uh, at Palmerston uh, on Saturday, which is not an easy thing to do because they are a good side and they're a full-time side as well. Um, Wraith Rovers, I suppose the, the argument, I, I would imagine, looking at it from our point of view, United point of view, probably Hibs point of view, everybody in the, in the, in the league is full-time, with the exception of Dumbarton. Um, so there shouldn't be anything in it really uh, in terms of fitness and all the rest of that mm-hmm. preparation what there probably will be in it, 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 it is you know the quality of the squads um, and most people I think would think that you know Hibs and Dundee United probably have the best squads in, in the championship but there's not a huge amount in it you know I mean Falkirk under Peter Houston I think will be um, absolutely right in there uh, at the death I cannot see them not being involved uh, Ray Rovers uh, are doing really really well they've got a good squad too Jim Duffy at, at Morton um, you know Morton beat United in the cup number of weeks back um, so you know Jim Duffy at, uh, at Morton as well I think you know uh, good manager loads of experience I think this will go kind of pretty much the wire but you know my, my hope and I'm putting my fans hat on here not talking from a kind of club consultant perspective or even a, a journalistic cons- uh, perspective I would you know I would think that Hibs and United will be the two battling out for first and second that would certainly be my hope what about the manager, uh, Ray McKinnon, uh, obviously coming in on the back of the disappointment of uh, of relegation, and you, you you said to me earlier that there was you know there's a great spirit about the club just now, the uh, great camaraderie. In what way is that down? Do you think to to him? Well, he's he, uh, Raymond. I mean, there's a combination of things there. <clears throat> he's a local guy. He's a Dundee guy. He played for the club. Remember, he played for United. He played for Nottingham Forest under uh, Brian Clough. He was at Tannadice when Jim McLean was here. So he's certainly seen close up and personal some of the, some of the greatest minds in the game, mm-hmm. uh, if you want. But Raymond, Raymond's a great communicator. He's got a great passion for the game, but he's a great communicator. He joins as well, I think. You know, there, there's not a massive gap between him and some of the younger players. Not that I, would, you know, not that I think that's a, a massive thing in the modern game. I mean, you look at guys like Wenger and Ferguson, who are just great football and minds. Uh, Raymond, I think, has, has a, you know, has a, and I hesitate to use the word philosophy, but he does like to play, you know, good football. And he did all the way through you know, his time at Lockheed United uh, and then you know, at, at Brechin and at Wraith Rovers as well and this is, you know, this, this is something I think that he's continued but he's a great communicator with players, he understands uh, I think the, the modern players mentality the team work hard, the play hard the organisationally is good, he's got a terrific backroom staff as well uh, uh, you know, he's surrounded himself with guys that he knows, guys that he trusts and uh, he has built a, a terrific camaraderie um, about the place and that, you know, that's taking pressure off because you know there was pressure and let's be blunt one of the reasons I was brought in was because there was a fear that the fans you know a lot of the fans weren't happy about you know the the, the way the club had, had gone down the way the club was being uh, run uh, and I think you know Raymond has gone a huge way um, towards uh, healing that divide uh, and for the moment you know I mean I would never say never because you, there's always people who are unhappy at any 
any situation at any club, you know, whether it's from the Heights, Celtic or to United in the, the Championship to right down to kind of, you know, part-time sides. But for the moment, there, there really is a terrific spirit about the place. And I think Raymond has to be credited, you know, uh, uh, hugely with, with what he's done in the time there. Of course, I suppose to, to some extent, the fact that the team's had a good deal of success this season, that, that it keeps that wee pot boiling, doesn't it? Because the fans are interested, they're full of hope, and they'll be hoping to return next season. Yeah, supporters need hope. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you've not got any hope, um, then it's pretty depressing. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not going to kind of, you know, um, cast aspersions about other sides and all the rest of it. We've done it, done, we're, we're done it since Mirren a few weeks back, and it was, um, you know, tuned to fight with Tony Fitzpatrick, who was a fabulous player in the boardroom, and Tony's heavily involved in the community side and all the rest of it down there now. And I look at St Mirren, 12 played and only four points, and you think, gee whiz, imagine a great old club like St Mirren maybe taking the job and 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 it'll go on now. Look, you know the game works on on meritocracy. We know that, uh, but you you look and you think, geez, you know you, you're going to have to really. I've got mates that are St Mirren men, and you think you're really going to have to need something in the coming weeks to give you kind of hope, to give you a bit of, a bit of spirit for the the scrap that lies ahead. Dunfermline on the same boat. We've got Dunfermline Tuesday night here. They've got nine points after coming up after twelve games. Great old club, you know. Great people at the club. Great support base and all the rest. Of it. I have to say, sometimes I think Scottish football's mad to even contemplate allowing great old clubs like that with a big supporter base relatively speaking to yeah. you know to, to drop away down but that, that you know that's the way the game is organized so you need hope and I think you know Raymond and his backroom staff have given that but, they, but mainly it's the players that, are, that have given the hope you know there's some really really um, tidy players there and you know, Raymond's made ten, 10 signings since he came in. I don't think he's made a bad one. You know, I mean, uh, the guys like Cammy Bell, the goalkeeper, have really kind of studied things at the back because we'd gone through, you know, under Mick um, uh, you know, some, some really young keepers and all the rest of it, and that's a difficult place to play. We've got the likes of uh, Paul Dixon, you know, in, in the left-back position who played south of the borders at United, went away south. He's a terrific uh, talent as well. Um, uh, and we've got, you know, there's a good local base to, to the side as well. You know, you, you've got the likes of young Scott Fraser, who's a, who's a local boy. You've got Simon Murray, you know, who's a local guy, and I think that that because in the great United sides, you always had a good range of local guys, and I always think it's quite important to have three or four local boys in and around the squad. That gives I think fans something to to latch on to as well. But there's some terrific talent, uh, you know. Tony Andrew, uh, Andrew coming in has has been great as well. You know, I mean, there's there's a load of talent throughout the side, but the, the key thing also is these guys. Um, you know, I sometimes think the phrase playing for the jersey can be overdone, but you sense that they are when they're on the part. They're really Digging in, they're giving everything they've got, and you know they're getting the results. I mean, right, you know, there's a real kind of, there's a real joie de vivre. I think about the place at the minute, and everywhere you go, uh, people are remarking uh, just on how well, how well the team are doing at the minute, and just how bright things look. And and and, that, and that's terrific because you know there's a lot of people behind the scenes um, at Tannadice who are really really hard, and who for a wee time from a small section of support were getting a kind of hard time um, of it. There's people there at the club like David Southern, the general manager, who knocked their pan in the put huge amounts of time in Joe Rice the, you know, and, and his PR uh, and media department these are people that put in excess of 50 and 60 hours a week and you know yeah. love the club great United men they're not they're panning and, and it's great to see them get them some reward I mean I'm in there kind of you know on a short term consultancy role I'll probably be away in a few months time back to back to my regular trade you know <laughs> so it's great to see people that love the club that, put, that go way way beyond anything they need to do um, you know, to get some reward here you're talking about the quality in the team at the moment just a minute ago. When Rangers were in the Championship, for instance, there was a lot of chatter about the relative skill and performance levels of the Premiership and the Championship. 
Hearts came up last year and they more than held their own. In fact, really competed for, for, for quite a long time. Rangers, likewise, even despite all the negativity that's born, I think, a high expectations, you know, the third in the league after coming up uh, from promotion. Do you think that United would be confident if they're successful in getting back up next year, they'd be confident of emulating that? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, th- I think that th- this is a squad um, that I think is eminently good enough to get back up and, uh, um, you know, and, and manage uh, in the Premiership. I wouldn't make any rash predictions, but I think, you know, Raymond McKinnon obviously is, uh, you know, a, 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 my, my personal hope for Raymond uh, would be that he has a fabulous season, brings United up, has a fabulous season next season in the Premiership and lands a, a cracking job down in England someplace because he's ambitious, you know. Um, and I, I think that the squad that he's got, and, you know, there's a few lone players in there and the rest of but the squad he's got, I think, could more than hold their own up. But that's kind of getting ahead. That's getting ahead of things, and that's the one thing you learn in football. I think, as a journalist, as a player, as a manager, as a consultant, as a fan, never to get too far ahead of yourself because there's a long, long way to go yet. And I've got to be honest with you. I mean, my, my, you know, my view for a long, long period of time is that we need a bigger league, yeah. either a 16 or an 18 club league. I think there's, there's there's a couple of things there. I think you know, I still believe that people are fed up to the back teeth of playing, you know, potentially four and sometimes depending on cup competitions five or six times a season against each other um, I genuinely don't think that the, you know that Hibs, Dundee United Wraith Rovers Morton Falkirk Queen of the South looking at the top six alone yeah. uh, I don't believe that these sides are in any way poorer uh, in, in a top division where they had access to a few Bob more able to sign maybe a better quality player and all the rest I think that you know in the future I'd like to see some common sense in Scotland but yeah it's a really really uh, competitive league and I, I don't see any signs that it's, that it's going to be less competitive I mean even if um, Hibs kind of stride out a wee bit which there's every indication that they might do and United might be right on their coattails which you know frankly I think is the best place to be until later in the season yeah. there's no indication to me that the Wraiths and the Morns and the Falkirks um, will not uh, be hot in pursuit no, I think that that, that uh, you're preaching the converted about the bigger leagues anyway, John, because it's always been my contention that that the the, the levels of success that uh, that Scottish clubs had in Europe for the in, in the past, for the most part, were when the, the leagues were bigger, uh, and also uh, when they when they shared the gates a wee bit more equitably than they do just now. But that's a whole different argument, of course, and a serious one which is worthy of an awful more time than we actually have available to us today. But I'd really like Jim at some point in the future if you've got time to be able to discuss that. But uh, for, for the time being anyway, Jim, thanks very much for coming <laughs> on and speaking to us. And, uh, and and also, best of luck to Dundee United and good luck with the old scribbling as well. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Jim Spencer really top forum there and talking a lot of sense about league reconstruction and the distribution of income within the game as well. Hopefully we'll get Jim back and uh, there's tons of stuff actually in that interview that we didn't use today because we just didn't have time and we may feature some of that in the near future as well. David Lowe is famously known among Celtic fans as the tactician who successfully applied Fergus McCann's strategy during the takeover Celtic in 1994. A stockbroker and a former chairman of the iconic Glasgow department store Bremner's, Lowe has consulted with football teams all over Europe including Everton and Carlisle United, as well as Celtic. He is well qualified to look under the hood, as the Americans say, of the vehicle of football club accounts. I spoke to David last week to get his impressions of what the Rangers International Football Accounts, published just over a week ago, are really saying. David, whenever Rangers produce accounts, people pour over them uh, and view the, the past history. 
my point of view, the headlines appear to be that losses are down, the taxes are paid, there are repairs planned for the stadium, they've taken a more aggressive posture against what they perceive as an owner's contract with Rangers Retail. Upward curve? Uh, I, just, I don't necessarily uh, agree with that. Having said that, you know, there are no great surprises in the accounts for the year that we're talking about, which is the last championship year to June uh, 2016. They are still losing money. The directors and some shareholders are still having to plug the the gap uh, in, in their finances. Uh, they've lent £2.9 million since the year end and stated, you know, they will have to lend even more later in the year or around about March next year. So, you know, that's not good. So what you have is a continuing situation of losses uh, with no plan uh, that shareholders are aware of for stopping that. So that, that, that can't be good. I think, though, that uh, despite the fact that the, that shareholders may not be aware of, of, of a plan, that they are in, in a very delicate situation as far as uh, Sports Direct and Rangers Retail are concerned as well. Is it unreasonable to expect them to try and play their cards close to their chest as far as what their plans are? No. What you should do is be open and frank with your shareholders and, uh, and with your supporters. And, you know, if there is a plan to stop the losses and to get on an even keel, they, they should come out with it. Maybe there isn't a plan, and that's why they haven't come out with it. I don't know. But certainly the, the current situation is unsustainable. You cannot continue to lose money year in, year out. You cannot expect uh, individuals, directors, shareholders to continue uh, to finance losses in perpetuity. You really should have a plan. It's also very difficult to make progress uh, if you don't have stability. Stability is required, and to get stability, you have to have peace with your other shareholders. So, whilst they continue to fight amongst themselves, shareholders, that is, you know, that, that's a negative as well. Uh, I don't think I'm saying anything outlandish in saying that. I mean, it's pretty obvious that you all should be pointing in the same direction, trying to achieve the same objective. And I, I do not think that is the case just now, and that's not good either. Are you implying that you think there may be a split in the board, or, or are you talking about the, the basically the split between the board and Mike Ashley? No, yeah, I'm talking about a split amongst the shareholders. I, I, I have no reason to believe that the, the, the board are anything other than unified. I always remember, you know, Fergus McCann saying, you know, I have a five-year plan, and to carry out that five-year plan, uh, I, I insist upon having control so that I can proceed uh, without hindrance or objection. My plan, you know, for restoring Celtic to previous levels. The control aspect uh, was key in deliverance of that plan. You don't have that at Rangers. Nobody's in charge. Nobody has a controlling position. What you have is a coalition of interests, which is very fluid and periodic or continual infighting. And, and again, that backdrop doesn't lend itself to deliverance of a sustainable plan for restoring Rangers to stability uh, and, and an upward trajectory. And again, I think that's pretty obvious to all observers, whether they be Rangers fans or, or fans of other clubs. Is there anything crucial in the upcoming AGM? I mean, I'm thinking particularly about the uh, the, the resolutions concerning this application. Uh, if that uh, goes through, w would that make the, the board's job a bit easier? 
Well, that's Shangri-La. That objective is Shangri-La for uh, the people in control of Rangers. Because what they have said publicly, and it's understandable, uh, is that uh, the loans that they have put into the company are soft loans, is the phrase that's been used, and that, that the intention is to convert those loans into equity. Now, in order to do that, yes, you have to disapply preemption rights in order to selectively issue shares to selected people. Uh, now, if that were to be that uh, resolution were to be passed, you know that does clear the way for that objective to be uh, achieved. But it does beg other questions. Other questions do follow. Uh, at what price are those shares issued? Because obviously, the lower the price, the more shares that are issued. The, the more of a dilutory effect it has on those shareholders that do not participate in the selective issue of new shares. So that will almost certainly you know, lead to debates and, uh, and most likely arguments. But the big question would be at what, what price uh, the shares are issued at. Now, if you're going to be one of the people that uh, wants to convert your soft loan into uh, equity, uh, naturally, you would want the price to be as low as possible because you get more shares and you consolidate your controlling position. So I would imagine that uh, there would be a strong desire to uh, issue shares at uh, a low price, you know, which is probably justified because I don't actually think the shares are worth anything of any consequence because of the financial situation that it's in and the amount of accumulating loans in the company. So I hope that's answered your question. It has, but but to, just on a technical point, if the the board are successful in getting the the resolution through about this application of preemption rights, do they then decide on the price uh, if they if they issue the shares, or is that something that would be agreed at the AGM beforehand? No, it's the latter. Uh, the board, having taken advice from their advisors, would determine uh, what the placing price is. Now, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on which way you look at it, you know that you don't have a benchmark price on any recognized stock exchange because they've been off aim for a while now. Yeah. There's been a few trades on, on Jenkins, but nothing of any consequence. And I don't think these, these share prices could be realistically relied on as, the, as a proper benchmark. The balance sheet is probably the most realistic benchmark. An up-to-date one uh, in the year that we're in just now would uh, be better again. So it's a moot point at what price any shares would be issued, and uh, I, I wouldn't be able to say with any degree of authority what that price should be. Well, the, the reason I ask that question is because there are people in the board who obviously have an interest in converting some of their loans uh, into shares. And, yeah. and and if they, they were to get the resolution passed at the AGM, that that really gives a blank cheque to the people who who would benefit to set the price for the shares. Or, or is that a, a, a kind of normal situation anyway? No, it's not a nor normal situation. When you're in a situation like that, number one, you take independent financial advice. Uh, number two, you know, there are directors... Uh, on the board that would not be the recipient of shares and they would have a, a responsibility in the debate as to what price the shares are, are issued at. But that, that's what I said earlier. At the end of the day, these loans are soft loans. Everybody knows that. It is the intention to convert these loans to equity 
there is a resolution which was previously lost, which would uh, enable the board, subject to conditions and formalities, to convert their loans uh, to equity. That, that's the game plan, and uh, the AGM will be very interesting in that respect, because it was a close-run thing, I seem to recall, yeah. last year. It was, and the $64,000 question really is, if you were presented the challenge that is that is Rangers at the moment, uh, given your views on the unsustainability of their, their, their business model, what steps would you be taking to try and right the ship? Well, the first thing they've got to do, I, I would say, is remove the debt. And yes, the way to do that is, is to convert the loans to equity at a fair and reasonable price. It has to be at a fair and reasonable price. And if that's achieved, what that in turn does is remove the debt and, crucially, get that controlling position that I referred to earlier. That would give, give the group in control a genuine controlling position. There are other very serious elements to this, though, that I don't think too many people have com- commented on. Probably uh, the most meaningful is the fact that uh, Rangers remains a public limited company and it has to abide by the rules of the panel and takeover and mergers. And that means anybody or any concert party that acquires more than a 29.9% interest in Rangers uh, has to make an offer to all the other shareholders that aren't in the concert party at the highest price that they have paid for their shares in the last 12 months. Now, I'm not sure anybody's bought any shares in the last 12 months but they would still have to make an offer. And obviously, the lower the any new price that any new shares that are issued, uh, the more shares they're going to have and the more likely they would cross the 29.9% threshold. So I think with almost, it's almost certainly correct to say that if the resolution is passed, the concert party uh, will go above 29.9% and there would be a bid for Rangers. Now, obviously, if there's going to be a bid for Rangers, naturally, you would want it to be as low as possible. So that's where the debate comes in a bit at, at the price paid. Okay. Well, you're, you're talking about the uh, about getting rid of the debt, but the the board's own position is that it's not just about the debt; it's about some investment, some serious investment that's needed, both in the infrastructure, buildings, and so on and so forth, and also, of course, in in, in the team as well. So, uh, how how do you attract that kind of inward investment? Well, again, eh, that, that's yet another problem. That's, that's why I, I said at the outset of this interview I, I didn't think the accounts were that edifying because there are all these problems. Running a football stadium or operating a football stadium and a training arena, uh, it really does require almost real-time ongoing capital expenditure. It's like your house, you know, unless you keep the repairs and renovations up to date, you know, it will get into a state of disrepair. And I don't think it's a, a controversial thing to say, you know, Rangers both at Ockenhowie and at Ibrook Stadium have not received the correct levels of repair and maintenance budget, budgets over a prolonged period of time. So, yes, I, I would imagine that there is a, a significant amount of money required uh, for investment in the fabric of, of Ibrook Stadium and Ockenhowie, as well as, of course, the football team. Now, you can speculate as to how much money is required. I'm not going to speculate other than to say I would imagine it's quite a substantial amount. You asked me where that would come from. I, I, I don't know where that would come from. Do you think that, that, that an AIM listing or a relisting in AIM would be, uh, would be one way to solve that inward investment problem? 
Well, I suppose it would be one way, but you wouldn't go to the alternative investment market unless you were confident that you would raise the money mm. and you could satisfy the rules and regulations of being listed on AIM. The directors would have to fill in directors' questionnaires and they would have to be deemed to be fit and proper, uh, you know, which is a moot point, as everybody knows. Uh, secondly, you know, the very same company has already been on AIM and has already raised $22 million a few years ago. It's still mired in uh, controversy and infighting. There's still an ongoing dispute with one of its largest shareholders. Uh, there's still a dispute over the retail rights. And indeed, is there an appetite for any football share in the stock market just now from anything other than fans? I mean, Celtic are very well managed, uh, very financially sound, you know, but the shares you know, are, are being very static and they have a very small institutional following. So when you add all that together, no, I don't think a recognised stock exchange is a likely source of finance. We could talk about the abilities of the managers and the players and things like that as well, but, but I spoke to a director of a, a championship club uh, last uh-huh. week, and and uh, we were talking about Rangers accounts, and uh, he said to me that the 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 first and best way forward for Rangers clear out the boardroom. Well, that, that's a political point. You know, it's not as simple as that. The most the most important thing is for the boardroom uh, or for the board or whoever's in the board to have a controlling position, and the people that are in the boardroom just now have a business plan that seeks to achieve that because we talked about it earlier. You know, the disapplication of, of uh, preemption rights clears the way for a, a conversion of debt to equity. You know, so that is a plan that seeks to achieve that objective. Whether it is successful or not is another matter, particularly as they have a very wealthy opponent who I would imagine would fight it all the way. But the board is the board. It's for others to question whether it's a good board. That's not, you know, what you asked me to talk about today and I sure. don't into it. Okay, David, changing the subject for a moment, you have a rare Hibs artefact, a ball signed by the members of the 1991 League Cup winning team, and you want to auction it for charity, and I believe that SFM are going to help you to do that auction as well. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, back in 1991, when I I was staying in Edinburgh, uh, just uh, not far from Easter Road, you know, uh, I did go and see quite a few uh, Hibs home games whilst my children were very young at the time. And at a stock exchange charity dinner, I, I bought this ball uh, in 1991, which had been signed by all the Hibs players that played in the 1991 League Cup final. I think it was called the Skull Cup final, actually, uh, when they beat Dunfermline 2 nothing off the top of the head. So I bought this autographed ball, and, and it's been lying in a cupboard uh, at a, uh, for 25 years <laughs> and as it's the, the, the 25th an, uh, anniversary and as we're coming up to Christmas I was approached by a, a Hibs friend in Edinburgh that, that owns the Holyrood Boxing Gym and I just said well yeah there's a kid there it has got a very admirable charity basically it provides toys for uh, disadvantaged kids at Christmas uh, in, in Edinburgh so yeah I've put this I've given it to you <laughs> to put this up for auction and uh, all the proceeds raised for it, you know, would go to this charity. So 
I had a, a jersey, you know, which I donated to the Louis Stevenson testimonial, which went for 1,500 quid. So I'm hoping uh, this autograph football would go for something similar. So we'll see how it goes. Although, although I'm guessing that a ball with, uh, signed by all the players from last year's Scottish Cup final it might beat the 1,500 quid mark as, as, as well. Well, if such a ball exists, <laughs> I think that would go for a lot more. Cause, yeah. you know, it was a very long wait for that. Okay, David, uh, no time to talk about the Atlantic League, which uh, which I had planned to talk about, but uh, perhaps we'll come back and have a chat about that later. Okay, nice to speak to you. Bye. Cheers. The charity that David was talking about in the interview there was Cody's Toy Box. Cody herself is a member of the Holyrood Boxing Gym, and uh, you can check both of them out on Twitter. Uh, but the ball he described in the interview will be auctioned this week on SFM, and full details will be available of the ball, about Cody, about her charity, and about the boxing gym as well. Well, that's just about it for this week then, folks. Our thanks to David Lowe and to Jim Spence for their time and their words and their thoughts, and our thanks to you, for communing with TWM on sfm.scot. Bye for now.